hit the heart. He knew that David physically didn't have the size. <laughs> but inwardly, David had the heart. <laughs> yeah, man. He knew that David wouldn't run in the fight. Yeah, man. Oh, but look what happened. David said, Saul, let me tell you why there's none in your army that's taken a stand to fight against the Philistine. He said, because their heart's failing in them. Let no man's heart fail because of them. The word fail there in verse 32 means to fall down. To fall down. Their hearts fell down. That's why they didn't fight. Their hearts fell down. It also means to be cast down. To fall away. To overthrow. To even rot. Uh, are you listening? Amen. And I know I'm preaching in an in in above average church, but am I preaching to people whose heart is beginning to fall down? Their, your heart, amen, you're still coming to church, but is your heart falling down? Amen. See, if you're not careful, you'll think about everybody else and what they can see. They can see the outward. So you'll come through the door with handshakes and a smile and amen. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. But inside is what matters. Or is your heart failing? Is your heart cast down? Did not David say that in his own heart in Psalms chapter number 40, verse 5, 6, and 11? Why art thou disquieted within me? Why art thou cast down? If David can have a heart that got cast down, can you not? Can I not? Oh, yes. We need to watch out for it. And let me mention this quickly. This word fail in our text verse is the in, in the imperfect mood which identifies a process. Heart failure don't just happen. It is a process. Well, the Lord made something big to me uh, several months ago. The devil is willing to wait and work for years for your fall. Does he want it overnight? He'll take what he can get. If he can cause you to collapse as an individual, as a home, as a church, as a preacher, overnight, he'll do it. But he knows that's not likely. He knows that it's going to take a, a process of deterioration, a process of losing ground, gradual. He's willing. Can we get a hold of that? Can we get a hold of that? Do you realize there are some champions in the Bible that failed in their latter years? Can I name one or two? Listen, I wasn't planning on saying these things. That's all right. I didn't get up here planning on saying nothing except what the Lord wants. Amen. How many has ever heard of Gideon? Mighty Gideon. Oh, yeah. Even in Hebrews 11. What a great man. But he failed in the end. He failed in the end. Failed with wine, women, and wealth. Gideon, study it out, it's in the Bible. Samson fell. Are you listening? Why are the mighty fallen? Was the question asked. 
How are the mighty fallen? The who? The mighty. Those that once held the status of being mighty have now fallen. And I know that is a... Listen, you're looking at one that's not above it. I'm looking at people, preachers, not above it. Don't you ever trust your flesh. Don't you ever think that your spirituality is permanent. Your salvation is, but your spirituality can come and go. You could, amen. You're saved by grace, but you won't be spiritual by grace. Amen. Salvation's a gift. But I want to tell you, friend, your spirituality comes through works and choices and obedience. Isn't that right? We want God to give us spirituality. That doesn't come as a gift. Amen. Boy, we need to be, listen, I don't want to be guilt. Listen, the devil's willing to wait on you. He's willing to wait on you. Now, we know that he's not talking about sinners in this text. Because sinners don't have a heart to fail. They don't have a heart for God. Sinners don't. He's talking about people that one time had a heart. How can you have a heart failure if you didn't have a heart to fail? Amen. So be leery. Be watchful. Be cautious. Lest you be one of the statistics. Are you listening? Let me move on. I want to deal with this. Now listen, you need to keep your eye on your heart. Yeah, I know. You can't see your physical heart, but you can see the results of it. You can see the effects of it. Is that not right? You can tell if you've got heart problems by, by the symptoms. How can, I, how can I identify and look at and watch my spiritual heart? Well, your spiritual heart shows up in your desires. Amen. If you don't have spiritual desires, you don't have a spiritual heart. Amen. Your heart shows up with your desires. Your heart shows up in the direction you're going in. Now listen, it requires honesty here. I can't see your heart. I don't know your heart. Are you listening? I don't know what's going on inside of you. I don't know your thought life. I don't know your motives. I don't know that. You don't know that about each other. That's why your spirituality is your responsibility. You need to be honest with yourself when your spiritual heart is beginning to lose desires. Spiritual desires. And those spiritual desires will not just leave. They will be replaced. If spiritual desires leave, it won't leave an empty hole in you. There'll be other carnal, fleshly, worldly, selfish desires that will come in place of that. Amen. But you need to be honest with yourself as you look at the desires. Be honest with yourself about the direction you see yourself going in. Amen. That's right. Your heart shows up in your delights. Your delights, your pleasures, what, what excites you. Uh-huh. Yeah. You ever wonder why a lot of people don't get excited about the things of God, but they can hoop and holler about the Tennessee balls? Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. It'll show up in your delights. Your heart shows up in your dialogue. All I have to do is listen to you talk a few minutes, and I can tell where your heart is. Matthew 12 tells us plainly, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. How many times has it stayed in the Bible? And he said in his heart. And he said in his heart. And he said in his heart. Huh? Your mouth, your dialogue, what you talk about is where your heart is. Amen. Also, your deportment, that is your demeanor, your behavior. 
You behave outwardly according to the heart that's inward. That's how you look at your heart. Let me identify with some things here tonight. Now, you pray for me. I've got a lot. I know that I can't preach at all. I'm going to be like a good blood hound, and I want to pick up the sin and run it with it. Amen. I don't want to do a lot of hunting tonight. Amen. Don't want to do a lot of hunting tonight. I want to, I want to get on the track for the Lord. The first thing I want to say some few things about is the causes of heart failure. The heart, the causes of heart failure. I have, I have in our church, preacher, I have several people in the medical field. Nurses, whatnot, I have doctor, I have one doctor, I have, you know, people that's working in that field. And I've asked them about these, this subject of heart failure. And you know what they told me about the causes? Listen to this now. This comes from professionals. Talking about physical heart failure, you can make a parallel. Said that heart failure is never the fi- primary prognosis. Heart failure is never the primary prognosis. What does that mean? It's always caused. Heart failure doesn't just happen, it's caused. Does not the text reveal that? David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. What's causing you to have heart failure? Amen? What's causing it? Something causes it. Friendships, fellowships, the list could go on and on. What's causing it? It's never the primary diagnosis. And here's a list. Listen to this. Here's a list that causes physical heart failure, and you can see the application spiritually. Blockages. Inward blockages. That causes restriction. On the heart. Keeping the heart from doing what it wants to do and needs to do for your overall health and well-being. Allowing something spiritually on the inside that is serving as an obstruction, a blockage, a hindrance, a restriction to your spiritual heart. I, I wrote down another thing. A lack of activity. A lack of activity. A lack of activity. Just, you know, doing nothing. You can about count on it. You're going to have heart problems down the way if you're inactive. Woo! Does anybody need any help making spiritual application there? Most people in church does almost nothing in the work of God. And they wonder why their spiritual heart is always failing or falling down or being cast down all the time. What it bring about revival to most people is just get involved in church. Amen. Get active in the house of God. Show up for Sunday school. I know you might give your preacher and your Sunday school teacher a heart failure, heart attack. Amen. But they'll get over it. <laughs> That's right. I was preaching in Easley, South Carolina the other day in a revival preaching. I just, I mean, out of the blue, I just felt impressed of God to say that if you laying out a Sunday school, you owe your Sunday school teacher an apology. And, 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 you know, now listen, I didn't preach this long, but we didn't get out of that Wednesday night service till 11 o'clock. The altar service lasted two and a half hours. People confessing, and guess what some of those were? Calling their Sunday school teacher out by name and apologizing to them. 
for laying out a Sunday school. Now, if that ain't revival, I don't know what is. Different ones of calling out others by name, tears running down their face, admitting I've been having hard feelings toward you. I've had unforgiveness toward you, and we're, I want to get, I want to deal with this. One family stood up and asked the, the pastor to forgive them and said, Preacher, he said, I've been thinking about taking my family out of this church. Raised, his wife had been raised in that church. Why did he even think those things? Why? Because he's buddy-buddy with those that had pulled out. Amen? You better make sure faith is in leadership and not friendship in leadership. Are you listening? Let me move on. I'm talking about a lack of activity. Thirdly, what about increased? One of, one of them told me, preacher, what causes heart failure is increased waste production. Of course, I'm like you. I had that. Okay. Bring it down here to my, where I'm at. Let me explain that. He's talking about fluid buildup. He said instead of you getting rid of waste, you're, you begin to retain that in your body. That which you need to get rid of, you're keeping. That which is, amen, those things that, that, that your body, for it to be healthy, to get rid of, you're keeping. Spiritually, you know what to call spiritual heart failure? An increased waste production. Just keeping in what needs to be gone in your life. When I got saved, God began at 20 years old. When I got saved, God began immediately. To work on me and begin to clean me up and begin to deal with me. It took me three or four trips to the barber to get it right. But I want to tell you what, I got it right. And I never heard nobody preach on, on long hair. Never heard nobody, never even know 1 Corinthians 11 was even in the scripture. That it being a shame for man to have long hair. I never even knew that it was in the Bible. Holy Ghost starts saying, you need to, you need to get that taken care of. Never heard nobody preach on music. But immediately God began to deal with me that I need to go and get all of that filth and trash out of my truck. And don't sell it in the flea market and give somebody else your sin. Destroy it. Amen. Listen, those things that, man, hey, those things that needs to be out of your life. People, a lot of people will never have revival because of what they will not get rid of. What they will not let go of. There's people my friend embraced grudges till they died. Would not deal with it. Heard on the radio just recently. I was listening to the radio. And there was a young preacher preaching. He was talking about his, his daddy who had passed away. And he said his daddy told him on his deathbed. He said, son, said God told me years ago he wanted me to preach. But I knew in order to preach, I was going to have to forgive so and so. And I chose to hold on to the grudge. And live a life of defeat. And never preach. And he's laying on his deathbed with regret. Amen. What? Listen, I need to move on. Here's something else. Increased blood pressure. I can tell by looking, none of you have any pressure. Blood pressure comes from worrying. <laughs> yeah, none of you's done that. No ulcers in here probably. Are you listening? I, I've had them. I've had them. 
You say, preacher, I can't believe a preacher have ulcers. I know, I know that's far-fetched. I know you, you can't imagine that. I know you can't get a hold of that, a preacher having ulcers. I know that. Dealing with Baptists, not having ulcers, I, that's, that's unheard of. <laughs> but I'm talking about blood pressure. comes from worry and stress. Got too much on you. Got too much on you. That'll cause heart problems. Here's another one. Genetics. Genetics. Do, do we have anything in our genetic makeup that come from Adam that cause, would cause heart failure? That would cause your spiritual heart to quit on you? To be irregular? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, genetics. What about this one? Diet. You can't eat garbage and have a healthy heart. Spiritually or physically. What are you feeding on? Amen. But in the text, let me quickly give this to you. I want to give this to you quickly. In our text, what was it that caused heart failure? In the text, what caused heart failure? One, the sight of the enemy. Did you know that the, that the enemy has defeated more people inwardly than he ever has outwardly? If he can conquer you in your, if he can conquer you in your feelings, he don't have to worry about the fight. Listen, the, listen, the enemy has, has defeated more people in sight than he ever has in a fight. Steps out like Goliath did, flexes around, spouts his braggadocious mouth off, scares most of them to death. He didn't even have to fight them. He whipped them with his words. He whipped them, listen, he whipped them in sight, the sight of the enemy. Your enemy, is it big? Is your enemy big? Is your enemy a giant? How much time do you spend? Listen, I, listen, I didn't fall off the last wagon through town. I know what it is to lay awake at night and to focus on nothing but my giant. I know what it is to do nothing but talk about my problems. Amen. I'm talking about the sight. The very sight of the enemy caused heart failure. Write it down. I could a lot more preach on that, but secondly, the speech of the enemy. What's your problems? What's your valley? What's your battle saying to you? You're not going to make it. Are you listening? What's your, what's your, listen, do you realize your enemy has a voice? Your enemy don't mind talking to you during the night hours, amen, and, and whispering to you, amen, and, and give you all kinds of suggestions. And keep in mind, the devil's a liar. He never tells you the truth. Well, they're all against you. That's not so. The devil said it. You want the truth? Everything the devil says, take the opposite of it. They all hate you. No, the devil said that, so they must love me. <laughs> Whoa, the speech of the enemy. The, de the Goliath was very vocal. Was very vocal. Amen. He didn't just have visible bigness, but he had verbal boasting. Thirdly, the third cause that, that brought about heart failure in our text. Not only the side of the enemy and the speech of the enemy, but the stories of the enemy. He was called what? A champion. He was called a champion. Can you imagine the stories that went around, was floating around? Probably most of them had been exaggerated, but still yet they were floating around. David probably heard about it. 
No doubt those men in Saul's army that would not stand, but rather would run, they no doubt had heard how he, Goliath, had whipped some of the Philistines. Some of the stories. Boy, you have to watch out for what you hear. Amen. Secondly, let me move on. Not only we say some things about the causes of consequence or causes of heart failure. I want to talk about the consequences of heart failure. Boy, listen to this. No, I'm telling you, this help you if you listen to it. It's helped me. I can get out of a book, buddy. God's preached this to me. I'm, a, I'm living the sermon. I'm living the message. Are you listening? You know what? One of the Let me give you some of the physical, spiritual parallels, and then we'll talk right out of this text right here like we did that other point. What are some of the physical uh, consequences of heart failure? Number one, it affects your strength. Do you realize... That one of the first things that shows up with heart failure is weakness. Get feeble, get weak. Don't have enough energy to walk across the room. That also is true spiritually. You lose your strength. You lose your, amen. You get weak. And if the devil can get you weak, he can get you wounded. He can get you whipped. The devil's not after just clean knocking your head off spiritually. He just wants to weaken you. Because he knows that if he can get you weak, he can get you wicked. Because wickedness comes through weakness. Amen. You're not going to fall in your strengths. You're going to fall in your weaknesses. So the devil is willing to chisel away and chop away and deal ever how long it takes him. To get you weak. Because when you're weak, you have no resistance. It affects your energy. It affects your strength. It affects your sight. When you have heart failure physically, it affects your vision. It's not uncommon for folk to start having blurred vision when they're having heart problems. That ought, to, that ought to make good sense, shouldn't it? I mean, your eye, I forgot how many blood vessels and, and all that's in your eye. And so if the heart's not working that pumps the blood, then it's going to affect your vision. Can you see the spiritual application there? When you're having spiritual heart problems, heart failure, your heart is falling down, you're losing heart. It'll affect your vision. It'll affect, oh, I don't see what's wrong with that. Oh, yeah. I don't see why the preacher preached that. Why in the world? Why is the preacher stirred up about that? I don't see nothing wrong with that. Vision problems comes from heart problems. Heart problems. Oh, it affects your vision. It affects your strength. It affects your stability. Dizziness. Wobbly. Unstable. Having a problem with balance comes into the picture when heart failure comes in. Uh huh. It affects your sense, your brain. You can't, when you're having heart problems, it affects your thinking. Hey man, if your heart's not right, your head's probably going to follow it. If your heart's not right, your head's probably not going to be right. Hey man, watch your thoughts. Boy, it's easy to get confused. 
It's easy to do that, isn't it? And then, of course, ultimately, the consequence of heart failure is stopping your life. Don't, don't treat heart failure lightly because it can kill you. Do you realize it's the number one killer? It's a silent killer. It's called the silent killer. Why? Because it can sneak up on you. It can slip up on you. You can have problems and not know it until, no way, there it is. The big one. Heart failure. But now let me look right here in the text and give you this real quickly. I want to give it to you. Listen. You know what causes, what's the consequence of heart failure? I hope, preacher, God puts this big in our hearts. You know what the consequence of heart failure is in the text? Number one, the enemy is free to defy God. Because people that's having heart failure won't fight. People that's having spiritual heart failure won't stand. And as a result of that, the enemy continues freely, uncontested, to go ahead and defy the armies of God. God's people everywhere is suffering from spiritual heart failure. And as a result, the devil is running rampant in our world and in our country and among our young people. The enemy is free to defy God. When the enemy, listen, when heart failure silences us, and it will, it'll, it'll affect your speech, it will silence you. It just frees the enemy up to be vocal. My... My adult or my my young adult Sunday school teacher said Sunday. He said, he said the the, the atheists and and the agnostics and all of that's coming out of the closet. And he said God's people are going in the closet. I mean that crowd only listen. The homosexual crowd only makes up about two percent of our population, and they're pretty much charting the direction of our country. When there supposedly are millions and millions and millions of Christians in this country, supposedly. And we say nothing. And we do nothing. Spiritual heart failure. Spiritual heart failure had rather sat down than stand up. Spiritual heart failure had rather shut up than to speak up. Spiritual heart failure had rather back up instead of go forward. Listen, write it down. The enemy is free to defy God. The second consequence, and I'm a running through here now. I want you to get it. I want you to get a truckload to go home with you tonight. I want you to have to get the CD and listen to it ten times. Amen. And keep getting it and keep getting it and keep watching your heart. Amen. The devil don't want you to do that. No, brother, the devil don't want you to focus on your heart. Listen, the enemy will be free to defy God as a result of heart failure, as revealed in our text. Number two consequence is the elite. The elite fears to defend God. And I dealt with that already, son. You know, preacher, there had to be some in Saul's army that probably could have defeated Goliath if they would have. But they wouldn't even try. Why? Heart failure, don't try. Heart failure, don't try. Heart failure does not uh, try. The elite 
The best soldiers we know are fearful to defend God. I was raised, when I started preaching 33 years ago, friend, I was raised around Mace Jackson and Dr. Harold Seitler. I went to Dr. Dr. Seitler's school, and he taught or tried to teach me. He tried to teach me some things. Hey, I want to tell you, friend, I wrote, I come up, I cut my spiritual teeth on men of God that would stand. Even if they were standing alone. But you can't hardly find anybody much standing on nothing or for anything. For spiritual, you can find a whole lot of people standing for immorality and wickedness and sin and throwing our country down the tubes. You can find all kind of nutheads doing that. But where's the where's God's people? Where's the elite soldiers? Where's those that are those that looked up to as heroes? Listen, the first one was what the enemies. The enemy is free to defy God. Secondly, the elite fears to defend God. Here, brother, listen, I want y'all to get this one. The third one is, the third consequence is the thought, the endangerment. Listen, the enemies, let me give this one. The enemy's followers will not be delivered for God. So where do you get that? What Goliath said, Goliath said the one that whips me, then all of those on my side will come over on your side. Are you seeing that? Goliath said if all of these that's on my side fighting God, fighting the people of God, if somebody will stand up and fight me and defeat me, then all of these on my side will go to your side. How many people are going to be left on the wrong side because nobody's willing to stand? Heart failure won't stand. Are y'all getting that point? How many people are going to be left lost that could be one to Christ if somebody would stand up and say, listen, something's got to be done. But this one really got a hold of me. I mean, there's a lot I could say on that. The fourth consequence is this. The endangerment of family being drawn away from God. Also found in what Goliath said. Goliath said, but if I defeat you, then all of yours are going to have to come over on this side and serve us. Why should we want to stand, child of God, church? Why should we want to stand? It's because if we don't stand, we're running a risk of losing family and friends off of our side. Do you know of any? Does anybody in here know of any that once sat on pews, raised their hand, testified, involved in the work of God? But where are they tonight? What are they doing tonight? Are you listening? God help us. But I want to deal with this one if I could. Because I know we can talk about the causes and we can talk about the consequences. And we know all of that's real. Heart failure is real, buddy. Spiritual heart failure is real. I remember a few years back hearing of a man of God that I esteemed high in the Lord. 
I mean, brother, listen, I've, I've been with him in meetings. I rode with him in meetings. I saw, listen, powerful man of God. And when I got the phone call that he had failed in sin, you can ask my wife, preacher, I cried all night long. And I still think about it. And that's been years ago. But you know what? Listen. You know what I want to learn from that? If he could fall, I can. Amen. Mm. But I want to talk about the cures. What's going to cure it? What's going to cure heart failure? I'm just going to give you some of these, and I want to, I want to hone in on one or two of them just for emphasis' sake. But let me mention this one. Treat it, and I've already, I've, already do, I've already dealt with it some throughout the message. You need to deal with it. First of all, the first cure is you need to treat it as a critical condition. I mean, that, listen, that's just a sample given right there. If you're having physical heart failure, treat it seriously, and you would. You would. Hello, you would. No matter what your plans are, no matter what's, what things are pulling on your life, you'd make it a priority. You would, yes, you would. Spiritually, if you've got spiritual heart problems, spiritual irregular beat of your heart spiritually, are you listening? You better treat it as a critical condition. It's a matter of life and death. And you know what? I didn't know this until I'd studied on it. Did you know that heart failure affects all ages? All ages. I read, I, I got a little booklet that, I, that I'd got in the mail the other day, a little Christian periodical, and it had on there uh, this little girl, was 11 years old, named Danielle, 11 years old, had her picture and everything, and she died. 11 years old with heart, physical, physical heart failure. Young people, don't you think for a second that you can't get out of church? Barner Group is a, it's not a Christian group that I know of, but it, it, it's known reputably for its polling. It does a lot of polls. 88% of all young people raised in our churches, our evangelical churches, when they reach 18 years, 88%, that's only 12 out of 100 that's not included in that. 88 out of 100. 88% of our young people raised in our evangelical churches when they get 18 years old will leave the house of God and never come back. Young people, don't you think for a second that you can hold on to mama's dress tail and daddy's breeches leg and keep going. You better get you some convictions of your own. You better learn the reality of God and stand on your own two feet spiritually. Start feeding on the Word of God. Listen, I, listen. I, someone asked me the other day, said, Preacher, when did your church kind of, like, they used the term take off. I, listen, we have been brought a long ways, but we've got a long ways to go. But here was my response to that. I said, when spirituality got in the pews. It don't matter who's preaching, no matter what quality of a preacher you got, and you've got a top-notch preacher, I believe that all my heart. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what's in this pulpit. This church will never go anywhere till what's in the pulpit gets in the pews. I've got young people. I've got young girls. I've got this Hannah. I hope maybe y'all can meet her sometime. Little Hannah. I can about put her in her shirt pocket. 
your shirt pocket. When she stands up to testify, somebody usually has to point her out because she could hide behind a songbook. I mean, she is not that tall. And man, I'm telling you, when she testifies, tears running down her face, talking about what God did, said to her and did for her and helped her in her devotions and prayer. My goodness. Young people, if you're, sa- if you're old enough to be saved, you're old enough to be spiritual. If God saved you at seven, he means for you to start praying, start reading the Bible, start getting involved in church, start worshiping God, start loving him, start praying about God's will for your life. Amen. I don't know why I said all that, but listen, you've got to treat it as a critical condition. That's the first cure. Amen. Secondly, have checkups regularly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, not t- I'm talking about more than Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Have a checkup regularly. Thirdly, get a doctor involved. Uh, can I recommend one to you? Dr. Jesus would be fine. Hey, man. Dr. Jesus, and you can afford him. He don't charge for his services. You can trust him. He don't lie to you. Hey, man. You can go with confidence because he's never lost a case. Hallelujah. Get a doctor involved. Amen. Oh, treat it critically. Get a checkup regularly. And then confess that you've got a heart problem. You don't have to tell me, but you ought to at least look in the mirror and say, you've got heart problems. Or go to, go to prayer. Get in your prayer closet and say, God, nobody's around. I'm not trying to impress anybody. Lord, I'm in here alone. And I'm just being honest with you. Lord, my heart's not where it needs to be. I'm losing my desires. I'm losing my drive. I'm losing my direction. Amen. Oh, Lord, help us. Listen, confess you have heart problems. To deny it is to continue on until you die. Here's another cure. Change things in your life for the better. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're only going to keep getting what you're getting. If what you're doing and how you're living and what you're eating is causing heart problems physically, you're going to have to change. Amen. Come on, that's right. Amen. Spiritually, if you're having heart trouble, remember, remember, it's not the primary diagnosis. It's not the primary. It's always caused. If you're having spiritual heart failure, you're causing it something in your life that you're looking at, listening to, something you're feeding on, something you're, listen, that's getting your devotion, your affection, something is causing it. Deal with the cause. Deal with the cause. Listen to this, number, whatever number it is, be cause driven. That's what David said. Is there not a cause? David is saying to his brothers, you're fighting me, you're accusing me, you're, you're judging me. You say you know the naughtiness of my heart and the pride and all that, that I just come down to see the battle, which none of those was right. David said, what have I now done in verse 29? What have I done to cause you to fight me? I've not done anything. I brought you cheese and corn and, and all of that. But now you're fighting me. Do you know that church most of the time could have revival if folk that would fight each other and fight the man of God would start fighting the enemy? Elam was a fighting David instead of Goliath. Yeah, we know why you're here, blah, blah, blah. Be cause driven. David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And you've heard that preached on numerous times. But let me give you this. 
Choose to be different. That's a cure. Look around you. Everybody, David Saul had heart failure. Every one of them. Get that. Well, that got big to me. As he looked at Saul's army preacher, every one of them had, including Saul, had heart failure. Why? Because they weren't fighting. They weren't fighting for the cause of Christ, for the cause of God. Now watch this right here. Boy, this got so big to me. Heart failure is so prominent that you'll think it's normal. When you look around and you see the heartlessness that is plaguing our churches, you'll think it's normal. Well, it's just the normal thing. I'm talking about choosing to be different. David steps up, 16 years old, the only one. There wasn't one more that stood with him. Even Goliath had an armor bearer. But David had nobody that he could look to that was serving as an example. But David steps up and said, I know every one of you are suffering from heart failure because of him. But I want to tell you, I am not. I'm not getting caught up in that. No, I want you to know it is not normal. It is not the will of God. Boy, isn't that the way it is? Coldness is so prevalent that, you think, that you'll think that's the norm. Quietness and deadness in the house of God, it is becoming so prominent and so prevalent that if you're, listen, if you're not careful, we're going to raise a young generation that thinks that's the way it's supposed to be. Old time preaching's about gone old time praying. It's about gone old time praising of the Lord. It's about gone, amen, getting involved in an old-fashioned worship service. It's almost a dinosaur thing. It's almost a thing of past generations. I feel that way sometimes, preach, honestly. I feel like a dinosaur in this modern age. I don't even hardly, I don't even hardly go to preacher's meetings no more. I mean, you can't hardly find a preacher anymore to preach. Are you listening? And most of them, listen, most of them, you know what most of their message is geared toward? Feel good. Not live good, feel good. Don't care how you live, we just want you to feel good. Amen. All that much, all that much you, on television, all them, count, count them, count them. See how long you count before you, one of them ever says anything negative about sin. Are you listening? I know I said I wasn't going to preach on all that, but I'm, i I got to hit that a lick or two. Amen. That's right. Old Smiley that pastors the biggest, uh, the biggest church in America says God didn't call him to preach against sin. God ain't never called any preacher that he didn't call him to preach against sin. Amen. Man, make that stupid statement. I'll say, as far as I'm concerned, you're not called at all, and it's questionable whether you even say well, hallelujah. Choose to be different. Everybody else can be cold. You choose not to be. Everybody else can be plagued with heart failure and afraid and fearful and worry and won't fight and won't stand more interested in leaving than standing. You choose to be different. We had, listen, let me give you a personal example. We had some few years back pulled out 
And, and I've just come to believe that that's just the way it's going to be. It used to just put me in the dumps all the time, and I do care about it. But I want to tell you, I have come to believe that it's just the way it's been. It was the way it was with Christ. The perfect preacher had thousands at times following. Preach one message, the whole crowd leave. John, John chapter 6. He was the perfect preacher, and he only had 12, and one of them was a devil. I think I'm above average on that. I got more than 12, and I don't know if I've got more than one devil or not. There'd been a time or two I thought I had several, amen. But I just got to the place where I said, well, I mean, I hate it. But here's when I changed. Here's when I, I changed my heart on that. I got to, I, I spent most of my time thinking on that crowd that wasn't there. Talking about that crowd that wasn't there. It was coming, it's slipping out in my preaching. It was coming out in my talk. And Miss Debbie in my church, she said to me one day, she said, Preacher, and I mean, she's a spirit, spiritual woman. Miss Debbie said, Preacher, we're not all gone. We've not all left. Feed us. Preach to us. And I said, Hallelujah, buddy. And son, I began, and listen, God used that. I began to crawl in that pulpit with a fresh fire to preach the word of God. Amen. I know how a pastor thinks. I know how he feels. That crowd that would leave me at times. And I've been there 21 years. Preach, how long have you been here? You've been more than that. 15 years. I've been there 21 years. And I know how a pastor thinks when, when this one leaves or that one leaves or that one leaves. I blame myself. I think maybe if I was a better pastor or if I'd have preached differently or if I'd have babied them more, if I'd have burped them more, whatever. Brother Brian Thurman, he pastors right up the road from me. He came out of our church. We ordained him. He's about 12 miles up the road. And he said to me, preacher, he said, how do you do that? How do you? How do you, it's because some of mine went up to his place. He said, how do you, how do you just keep preaching? I said, Brother Brian, you're not going to like my answer. I said, because my answer's not going to sound too spiritual. He looked at me like, what? I said, preacher, I got to the place, to a point. I emphasize that, to a point. I said, I got to a point where I just don't care. I said, to a point. I still care, but not enough for it's going to defeat me. You see what I'm saying? Listen, listen, oh, listen, let me give you this real quickly. I've got to get off of that and listen. Choose to be different. Watch this one right here. This one got as big to me as anything I've dealt with on this subject. Help me more than anything. The cure for heart failure is stop classifying your enemies. Good night, have mercy. Show me in this chapter where David ever referred to Goliath as a champion. Mm. David never recognized his success. David, David never called him a champion. In fact, when David was looking at him, he just classified him with the bear and the lion. Hey, I want to tell you, if his, listen, if his size matters, your size matters. But the battle is not mine, so his size don't matter. My size don't matter. It's the battle. It's the Lord's. Hey, quit calling the devil a champion. Quit treating your battles as champions and your battles Valleys as champions. Woo! Man, that helped me, I'm telling you. 
David never acknowledged Goliath's success. Those with heart failures, all they ever talked about was, oh, that's the champion. Saul addressed him as a champion. But David never called him a champion. Amen. Faith doesn't measure the enemy. Faith doesn't break out a ruler and say, okay, let me see if I can have victory in this situation and say, well, no, that's a little bit too big. Faith doesn't measure the enemy. Faith measures God. And when you put a ruler up beside God, you're going to find out that he's immeasurable. When you put a ruler up beside of him, my friend, you're going to find out that he's bigger than anything and everything that will come against you as a Christian and as a church. Amen. Stop classifying your enemies. Don't call him a champion. Oh, I want to say it again. If Goliath's size matters, then your size matters. Because how big he is, if that matters, then how big you are matters. <laughs> and let me just go ahead and help you. You can't ever be big enough to handle the enemies that are going to come against you and speak against you as a church and as a person and as a family. But I want to tell you, blessed, bless the Lord. David said, you are going to be just like the lion and the bear. <laughs> It don't matter if you're 10 feet tall. It don't matter how much you weigh. It don't matter how big and strong and all of that. It don't matter about your successes. I don't recognize that. As far as I'm concerned right here and now, you're a defeated foe. Son, how many times we're defeated by things and circumstances and people. We may not verbally call them a champion, but they've got big in our mind. They've got big in our heart. Don't classify your enemy. Stop classifying your enemy. The battle's the Lord, so size don't matter. What about the spies that came back out of the land of Canaan? Twelve went over. Ten of the twelve came back and said, we can't do it. Well, why not? There's walled cities over there. And there's giants over there. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, let's go, boys. Hey, we can do it. We're able. We're well able. Let's go. Hey, let's go. Did you not see the walled city? Yeah, but we didn't recognize that. We don't deny that the Jerichos are there and, and the giants are there, but that didn't that's not our focus. In fact, we're more we've got more interest in this big cluster of grapes right here. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Yay! Why would we want to talk about giants when we can talk about these giant grapes? Amen. <laughs> hey, why do you want to talk about giant problems all the time when you can talk about giant grace and the giant God that we serve? Hey, you want to talk about a giant? You want to talk about a giant? Let's talk about a giant a minute. Let me talk about the one that's fighting for you. Let me tell you just a little bit how big he is. The Bible says, heaven is his throne. Heaven is his throne. And earth 
is his footstool. Now, I don't know how far it is past the sun to heaven, but I know it's 93 million miles to the sun. That'd take a pretty good-sized God to sit on the sun and put his foot on the earth. <laughs> Defeat doesn't come in your life when you're looking at God. Defeat comes in your life when you're looking at Goliath. The whole difference here was the, the Saul and his army was focusing on Goliath. The difference was with David, he was focusing on God. Lord, help us. That got big again in my heart. Amen. If the battle is mine, then size matters. How big I am matters. But it's not my battle. <laughs> Amen. Oh, preach, I need this reminded me again. I need it refreshed in my heart again. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build... My church. And you know what I've done at times, and I'm sure I'll have to do it at times again. I'll have to go to God and say, God, it's not my problem. They're your people. It's your pre your, this is your church. It's your business. You said you'd build it. I'm going to try to build the Christian. You build the church. I'm going to preach truth. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to try to be your ambassador. And whatever happens, that's going to be up to you, Lord. What do you think Gideon felt? Started out with, what was it, 32,000? God said, Gideon, you got too many. Wait a minute, Lord. We're already outnumbered four to one. Midianites had 135,000. They only had 32,000. That's 41 odds. That means every one of Gideon's going to have to kill four of them. And God said, you got too many. So let me give you a message to preach. Preach to that crowd that all the scaredy cats goes home. <laughs> Gideon probably thought, I won't be none of my crowd leave. They won't run from a fight. And how many went home was it? 9,700, wasn't it? Or no, that went, that went home with the lapping of the water. 9,700 was 22,000 went home with the, with the message on fear. Gideon got down to 300. He went from 32,000, listen, 32,000, 4 to 1 odds. 22,000 left. That brought it down to 13 to 1 odds. God still said you got too many. Preached another message, said, go down there and tell them to drink water. And those that, you know, sticks their head down and not alert, send them home. 9,700 went. That only left 300. You know what the odds are now? 450 to 1 odds. Every one of Gideon's men realized when we step out here, we're going to have to take care of business. Each one of us has got to kill 450. But God said, I wanted to get it down to where you won't vaunt yourself, you won't boast of yourself. You'll have to say God did it. Amen. Don't, don't classify your enemies. Listen to this. Let me give you this. I'm done. David remained confident in the Lord. 
David went out in that... Listen, David ran toward him with confidence. Amen. We're going to feed you to the fowls there today, big boy. You're going to be buzzard bait before this evening's over. Confidence. You know, I believe this. I believe the devil's after our confidence. I believe the devil's chiseling away at our confidence. Amen. And I'll tell you what else is a cure for it is remain covetously jealous for God. David heard that Philistine giant defy God. What? What? Hey, who does he think he is? You know what our problem is? You know why we don't fight? Why we don't stand? We're not jealous for God. Preacher, I know you say, but if somebody were to mess with your wife, talk about your wife, I'd say you'd need to claim 1 John 1, 9 because you'd probably take care of business, wouldn't you? That's right. Why? He's jealous with his, over his wife. God's jealous over us. He don't like it when we flirt around with the world. He don't like us. He don't like it when we're worldly and we're we're, we're looking for attention from things that that's external relationships away from Him. He don't like it. But are we jealous over Him? That's the thing. Are we jealous over Him? Does it bother us when we see God defied, disgraced? Dishonored. Does that bother us? David remained. David remained covetously jealous over God. When somebody spoke out against God, David was ready to fight. Ready, ready. Listen, I've tried my best to share and and to give you what God. Listen, I'm telling you, God stirred my heart about preaching on heart failure tonight. And you're going to have to be honest with yourself about it. How's your heart? How's your heart? Don't wait till it's in bad shape. That's why you need to look at it often, daily. Keep an eye on your heart. Get, keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Why? Because when you see your heart beginning to fail, usually you, it, it doesn't take much to turn it. But if you wait and wait and it progressively gets worse and worse and worse. I told a lady the other day, I told her the other day, she's, she's headed to the far country, and I told her, I said, turn around. Turn around before you get to the place to where it's going to be difficult to turn around. 